This morning I'm going to be continuing on with the series that we are doing through the Gospel of John, looking at, in particular, seven miracles. Seven events that take place there. And just the recap, I know I've said this every week, but just the reminder of where this goes, that John divides his gospel roughly in half. In the first half of his gospel are all of the events of Jesus' life and in his ministry on earth. And then in the second half of the gospel, we look at basically one week from Palm Sunday to Easter. Just as in this season of Lent, we look forward to that one week of events, John, in his first half of his gospel, points us forward to that as well. So we've been tracing through these seven miracles of Jesus in the gospel of John, all as ways of pointing us towards that Easter event as well. And we've been through a few of these pieces already. Today we're up to the fourth miracle, so we're, we're crossing the halfway point. So if you've been with us, maybe you recall where that is, but, but here's the recap of how that goes. That the first two miracles that took place both took place in the village of Cana, near Nazareth where Jesus was born and where, where Jesus grew up after he was born. And then uh, the first one being water turned into wine, and the second one where Jesus heals the official's son. Both of those, in chapter 2 and in chapter 4, are the bookends to a section of John's Gospel that all has to do with belief and faith. That is the primary focus of John in those miracles and in those writings of those chapters as people see Jesus, witness Jesus, and they believe in him. They come to faith in him. Right in the middle of that, in John chapter 3, is, is of course, probably the most well-known and memorized verse in the entire Bible. God so loved the world that he gave his only son that whoever believes in him shall not perish but we'll have eternal life. So those first two miracles were about belief in Jesus. Then last week we turned the page and we looked at the third one where Jesus is at the pool of Bethesda, right? And he heals a a man there who's paralyzed and it takes place in Jerusalem. And that through chapter five we saw was a totally different kind of story because now it had this courtroom language where this miracle was actually interpreted as being a crime, because Jesus did it on the Sabbath. And we saw in that the way John sets up for us this courtroom scene in which Jesus says, I will allow myself to be the accused in your place. I will take that guilty verdict for you. We saw that last week. Now, this week we turn the page again into chapter 6. So even though in the chronology of the Gospel of John, we're picking up right after we left off last week from chapter 5 into chapter 6, we're turning a whole new page because John's going to tell us, right, this comes at a different time. So we're dealing with a different theme, something else going on here. So I'm beginning in John chapter 6, and I'm just going to read the first 15 verses of John 6. Sometime after this, Jesus crossed to the far shore of the Sea of Galilee, that is, the Sea of Tiberias, and a great crowd of people followed him because they saw the signs that he had performed by healing the sick. Then Jesus went up on the mountainside and sat down with his disciples. The Jewish Passover festival was near. When Jesus looked up, he saw a great crowd coming to him. He said to Philip, Where shall we buy bread? For all of these people to eat. He asked this only to test him, for he already had in mind what he was going to do. Philip answered him, 
It would take more than half a year's wages to buy enough bread for each person to even have one bite. Another of his disciples, Andrew, Simon Peter's brother, spoke up. Here is a boy with five small barley loaves and two small fish, but how far will they go among so many? Jesus said, have the people sit down. There was plenty of grass in that place, and they sat down. About 5,000 men were there. Jesus then took the loaves, gave thanks, and distributed to those who were seated as much as they wanted. He did the same with the fish. When they had all had enough to eat, he said to his disciples, Gather the pieces that are left over. Let nothing be wasted. So they gathered them and filled twelve baskets with the pieces of the five barley loaves left over by those who had eaten. After the people saw the sign Jesus performed, they began to say, Surely this is the prophet who is to come into the world. Jesus, knowing that they intended to come and make him king by force, withdrew again to a mountain by himself. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. So what's going on in this story today, right? How is John turning another page and giving us a brand new theme to look at with Jesus? We're going to trace through this one, and if you're taking notes or following along, here's here's the three movements that I'm going to make through this message. First, we're going to look at what Jesus actually says in this miracle. Then we're going to look at what this story points us back to, And then thirdly, we'll look at what this miracle points forward to, all right? So those three movements that we're going to make through this. First of all, then, the three sayings. You know, in in this entire miracle scene that happens, Jesus only has three lines. His script is very short in this. So there must be something significant there, that, that John is pulling out for us the things that he really wants us to know that Jesus says, even though... We understand that Jesus probably said a lot more. John picks out the important parts, all right? So let's get the setting here. Let's find where we're at. That Jesus is crossed over the lake. We get that part. Um, So remember, we've had the maps up in the past, that that the, the sea, the Lake of Galilee, is there. And on the northwestern edge of the lake is where the town of Capernaum is. And then up in the hills, right west of that, is where Nazareth and Cana are. These are the settings that we've already seen in some of these stories. That's all on the western side of the Sea of Galilee, of the lake there. The story today tells us that Jesus and his disciples cross over. Now they're on the east side. Now the east side of the lake, the Sea of Galilee, is much more desolate than the west side. The west side is is a very fertile plain. You could grow crops there. The people tended sheep there. Uh, Capernaum was a fishing village, so it was a thriving area. But the east side, well, the mountains on the east side were twice as tall as the mountains on the left side. So, so they would, it would be a much steeper, rockier terrain there. There weren't as many towns and villages around on that side. That's the side Jesus crosses over to with his disciples. It's more of a desolate, wilderness kind of a space. That's out there. But these people follow. Somehow they know. 
They tag along, whether it's around by the shore or crossing in boats that they used that were common on the lake there. But the people catch up to Jesus. And Jesus, by this time, has quite a following of people in that area. John tells us the reason why. We saw it in the passage here. Because they all saw the signs and the miracles that he was doing. They saw the way that he could heal those who were sick. And so they follow along. Thousands of people following Jesus out here in this desolate place where he's pulled away with just his disciples. And then John tells us one other significant detail that comes into the story. He says, the Passover festival was near. That it's the time of the Passover. You know, we we saw a bit of this last week too, that John in his setting where Jesus was in Jerusalem at the pool of Bethesda where he healed the paralyzed man, that John tells us Jesus was there for one of the Jewish festivals. John seems to be hanging these events of Jesus around festivals, those holy religious holidays that were part of the Jewish religion. So here again, Passover, one of those Jewish festivals taking place as the setting, but this time Jesus pulling away to this desolate wilderness kind of a space and all of these people coming. Then, three things. Jesus only has three lines that he gives in this, right? He sees all the people coming and his question is, where are we going to find enough bread for all these people? John tells us, right, he tells us what's really going on. It's not like Jesus really has to ask the question. He knows what it is he's going to do, but he's just setting it up here, right? And then Philip who Jesus directs the question to, says, we can't do that. We don't have enough money for that. And then one of the other disciples, Andrew, says, well, there's a kid here. He's got a sack lunch. I'm not sure what good that does, though. That's not going to go very far. Five barley loaves and two fish. So a, a barley loaf in that time would have been something that you probably would most likely compare to what uh, we would have as pita, right? So it's like a piece of pita bread. He's got five of those pita breads, and two small fish. Now, he didn't probably have this all cooked and prepared, so it would have been what they did in that time to prepare fish to be preserved. So it was uh, prepared and salted, preserved so that it wouldn't spoil. So he probably had these pieces of these two fish that were all salted and preserved so that he could keep them and they wouldn't spoil because they didn't have refrigeration then, right? So that's what he's got, a sack lunch, five pieces of pita bread and a couple pieces of fish jerky um, or however that would go. Not enough to go around, but it's what they have there. Next thing Jesus says then, all right, so this is what we've got. Tell the people to sit down. Have them all sit down. Now, here's where we catch a piece that, you know, it's not just what Jesus is about to do with the bread and the fish that are significant, but the place where he's doing it is significant as well. That there's something in this story that tells us that that the setting itself has some meaning here. John gives a little bit of clue into that. He says, all right, the place where they happened to be gathered was grassy. That, That was rather unusual for being on the eastern shore of the Sea of Galilee, that that rocky steep, more desolate terrain that was out there. But in the middle of this rocky, barren wasteland, this desert, there was something of an oasis, something of pasture. 
and enough there for this crowd of people to all be seated. John says there were 5,000 men in the crowd, so adding in women and children, it could have been easily two to three times that size, well over 10,000 people. But enough of a grassy opening there, an oasis in the middle of a wasteland, in a wilderness, where all the people had enough space to sit in the grass and the pasture. So rather than finding one of the other nearby villages or sending people away and having people go find their own bread, Jesus says, we're going to do this right here. Right here in this wilderness, desolate oasis, away from where the people had come from. So he sits them all down there. Then, what happens after that? Well, John tells us that Jesus gives thanks and he breaks the bread, but, but he doesn't share any of the details. We don't know what Jesus' prayer of thanks was. We don't know what's going on while he breaks and distributes all the pieces of the bread and the meal that goes out. We don't know those details because apparently John doesn't really think we need to focus on that part. Even though this is really the heart of the miracle, right? That this bread just keeps going and going and going. John just sort of skips over that kind of matter of fact. Right? And this is just what happened. But then we get to what Jesus says next. After everyone's had something to eat and everyone has enough to eat and everyone has their fill to eat, then Jesus says, gather the pieces. Gather all the leftover pieces. Nothing gets wasted. So they do that. The, the disciples gather all the leftover pieces and they fill 12 baskets. Twelve is significant, isn't it? It's one of those numbers in the Bible that has meaning. So whenever we see twelve in the Bible, often twelve is one of those numbers that refers to God's chosen people. It's symbolic for that. There were twelve tribes of Israel in the Old Testament. Jesus chooses twelve apostles in the New Testament. So that twelve, then, is that number that represents God's chosen people, his church. Twelve, then, whenever we see that in the Bible, we should always ask that question. Hmm, is the Bible trying to point us toward something about God's people? So here, the disciples gather leftovers after everyone's had their fill, and they fill twelve baskets. Or symbolically, we could say that this is an indication that Jesus provides enough food for all of God's people, right? There is enough bread here for all. All of God's chosen people. That's what the 12 baskets symbolizes in that. All right, so those are the three sayings of Jesus that sort of bring some of this into play for us in this story. Now then, let's think about what this means, how we pull this together, what it points back to, and what it points forwards to. Right, so first, the pointing back. Well, John tells us some detail here, right? First of all, he tells us this takes place during the Passover, He tells us as well that the people that are coming are coming to this remote wilderness place. He tells us that the food there is scarce. And he tells us that Jesus then provides enough for all of God's people. Right? Those four details that come into this. It is all in some way then a reenactment. That Jesus is reenacting a piece of Israel's history. And all of these people from these towns around Galilee are participants in this reenactment story. Right? 
the Passover. Remember the Passover celebration. Passover was that time when the Israelites remembered the way that God brought them out of Egypt. And when God brought them out of Egypt, out of that slavery they had there, they went from Egypt into the wilderness. So it's that time when Israel is remembering that festival of Passover. And Jesus says, let's do a little role-playing game. We're going to live this one out. So all these people from these towns around in the Galilee side of the lake there, Capernaum, Cana, Nazareth, the people who've been flocking to Jesus, Jesus goes out to this, well, this wilderness place on the other side, and all the people come as though they are reenacting something of the Exodus. Once they're out there in this wilderness place, they need something to eat. Well, this is a reenactment as well, isn't it? That when the people of Israel left Egypt and went out into the wilderness towards Mount Sinai and they needed something to eat, that God provided manna, bread. For 40 years, the people of Israel ate that manna, that bread in the wilderness provided by God. Jesus here again is reenacting that whole story with them, isn't he? These people are gathered in this wilderness spot. They need something to eat. God provides bread, enough bread for all of them, manna for them. And here the people don't miss this. They catch it. Right? I think they're tuned into what's happening. They see what Jesus has done and they make the connection. Right? This is... This is like that story from our Bible when the people came out of Egypt and were in the wilderness and God gave them manna and there was enough bread for everyone to eat. I think they see that. They catch it. Well, and we sort of get a hint at that because John even says so, doesn't he? In verse 14, as the people saw the sign that Jesus performed, they began to say, surely this is the prophet who's come into the world. They know it. They see it. They get it. Moses. So they catch a glimpse. They catch a glimpse of God revealing himself in this time and in this place and in this moment, the way that Jesus brings us about. It sort of makes that connection in their mind and they they get it. It points back to that story. But then they miss something else though. Because even though they catch what the story points back to, they completely miss what the story points forward to. You know, they they made a connection there to where they saw Moses in this moment, in the providing of bread, manna, for all of the people. As though it were somehow Moses who did that. But it's not. Moses didn't provide the manna. God provided the manna. It was God who revealed himself through that. Not the prophet, not Moses. So, I mean, these Israelites, they're they're caught up in the moment. I mean, they, they get a free lunch. They see this revelation that brings them back to something of their own past, their ancient Jewish history. And, and they're caught in that moment, but, but they fail to see and recognize how God is truly revealing himself to them in that time, in that place, and in that setting. 
So not only is it a story that points back, but this is also a story that points forward. But they miss it in that moment. They miss seeing where that points forward to. You know, if if we were to skip ahead to the end of John chapter 6, the conversation picks up again. I only read the first 15 verses of this, and and the story picks up again at the end of the chapter. Uh, But it it does so in a way where if we were to go there, we actually skip over the next miracle, right? So I'm I'm not skipping over that. We'll, We'll get back to the miracle that happens in the middle of chapter 6 next week. But this miracle here, the miraculous feeding of the multitude, is a story that begins at the first 15 verses of chapter 6, but it ends way at the end of chapter 6, where Jesus comes back to it. The setting for this, then, is, is where Jesus pulls away from this crowd. Right, We saw that in verse 15. Pulls away from the crowd, But they find him again later, the next day. They find him back over on the other side of the lake again in Capernaum, that fishing village that was by the sea there. And they find him in the synagogue teaching. That's where we find him at the end of chapter 6. So this crowd of people who all experienced this miraculous feeding, this free lunch the day before, this crowd of people who all caught that vision, this is manna. This is Moses. This is, this is something huge. That crowd of people all finds Jesus again the next day on the other side of the lake in Capernaum at the synagogue teaching. And this is what he says. All right, I'm skipping ahead in chapter 6 now, and this, this is going at verse 32. Jesus said to them, Very truly I tell you, it is not Moses who has given you the bread from heaven, but it is my Father who gives you True bread from heaven. For the bread of God is the bread that comes down from heaven and gives life to the world. The people respond, Sir, they said, always give us this bread. Then Jesus declared, I am the bread of life. Whoever comes to me will never go hungry, and whoever believes in me will never be thirsty. Here's where Here's where people are starting to get confused. You see, they they were maybe not understanding where the story was pointing forward to at this point. They they were catching the piece where, all right, there was this manna-style event that happened out in that desert oasis the day before, but, but now Jesus is starting to talk in some funny language. So he doesn't just give the bread, but he is the bread? That's what Jesus is saying in these verses. And I'm not reading all of them. There's more of it there. That Jesus goes on to say, yeah, I am the bread. I don't just give you something to eat. I am what you eat. Now the people are confused. They're scratching their heads. I don't get where this goes. I don't get what you're after, Jesus. This doesn't make sense. In fact, in verse 60, John says this, I'm hearing this. Many of his disciples said, this is a hard teaching. Who can accept it? And a little later in verse 66, from this time, many of his disciples turned back and no longer followed him. All right, there, there's an event here to where what we've seen in these first three miracles is that more and more and more people are coming to Jesus, following Jesus, believing in Jesus. Now there's something happening here with this miracle that, that almost seems to turn that around. 
Now there's people falling away. Now there's people who are leaving Jesus. So what's going on here? What's the lesson in this, right? This is pointing forward to something, but if it's pointing forward to something, why are people walking away? Why are they bailing? Well, you know, I think there was one very important detail that we saw in this passage that we read today. The reaction of the people. The very last thing that we saw, at least in the verses that we read, in verse 15, right, where Jesus pulls away. He says, Jesus, knowing that they intended to come and make him king by force, withdrew again to a mountain by himself. You see, they, they missed the point, these people did. And John tells us the reason why, doesn't he? They missed the point because they experienced this man event and immediately their mind went to, let's make him king. Not just let's see where this plays out or, or let's ask him about it, but it's time for a rebellion. Remember, in their area where they were um, at that time, it was Herod Antipas who was the king of that region. And Herod was not an actual king of Israel. He was the son of Herod the Great. Herod the Great, who was not an Israelite, was an Edomite, but was appointed king by Rome because he was sort of a puppet regime who would do whatever Rome told them to do. That's where they are living under at that time, that they're under the Roman rule of the Roman Empire, and this illegitimate king, Herod Antipas, was placed over them by Rome, and now these Israelites, these people who see what Jesus does and says, hey, we're reliving an Exodus moment. This is the Exodus time. Let's get rid of these Roman people. Let's throw them out. Jesus, you're the prophet. You're going to be the new leader. You're the new king. We're going to make you be the new king. And Jesus pulls away. He says, no, that's not where this is going. That's not what I'm pointing to. Missing the point there, that Jesus did not come to be made a king by force. Maybe we shouldn't skip over that too quickly, that reaction of the people, because Maybe we need to consider ourselves, all right, do we do that? Do we ever have ways in which we react or live within our faith, within our religion, where we say it's time to make Jesus king by force? What would that look like? How do we do that? Well, let's be honest. I mean, in in our own time, in our own history, in our own setting as American Christians. We, we have things such as what we've called the moral majority, right? that, that we, we seek to win the culture wars by force. We're going to make laws and legislation because if people aren't going to behave by the values that we think they should behave by, then, then let's make it happen by force. In... In the 2016 presidential campaign, so not, not this most recent one, but the last one. In the 2016 presidential campaign, there, there was a presidential candidate who visited Dort College, Dort University, if you know where that is, northwest Iowa. Uh, and it's a, 
It's a CRC, a Christian Reformed Church community. There's a lot of CRC churches around there. So one of the presidential candidates visits Dort University and gives a campaign speech there. And in that campaign speech to a lot of Christian Reformed Church people in the audience says, if you elect me president, quote, Christianity will have power again, end quote. Jesus didn't come for that. Jesus will not allow himself to be made king by force. He pulls himself away for that. The people back there in that time and in that setting, in that culture, they missed that. They didn't get that. And I think if we're honest about it, we sometimes miss that too, don't we? That we fall into those places in our own world where we think, how can we make Jesus king by force? So if that's missing the point, then, then what does it mean to get to the point? What is the point that Jesus is really driving after here? Well, getting to the point is that Jesus did not come into the world to be king by force, but he came into the world in order to save the world by giving himself as the bread of life. Right? He, did, he didn't come into the world to take over the world. He came to the world to give himself for the world. Right? That Jesus came so that we may have new life in him. It's, it's not our job then to make Jesus king. Yeah, I'm rather certain that God, the creator of the universe, the one who made and upholds all things, I'm rather certain that God is able to make himself king without my help. He doesn't need me to do that. God can do that part. But he came into the world then to give himself for us. So the kingship of Jesus then, it, it doesn't come to us by force, but rather it it comes as an invitation. At the end of the chapter, when there's only a few people left, right? All these other people leave, all these other disciples go away, and there's only a few left, and Jesus talks to the few that are left there. And Jesus tells them, I've told you, only those who are enabled by my Father come to me. It's an invitation that Jesus then extends an invitation to come to him. And we see that in how Jesus comes to us yet today, that Jesus still comes with an invitation for us, that God is not looking for you to make him the king. God is inviting you to receive him as the king. And Jesus then, who comes and gives himself for us, extends that invitation yet today, that he is yet the bread of life today. And he invites us yet today to receive him as king. Let's pray together. God, Thank you for the gift of your word. And Lord, we, we are sorry for the times when, when we've tried to make the agenda our own and, 
make you the king by force instead of receiving you as the king by faith. Lord, we pray today that you would show us how it is that we can live for you in ways that invite others to come to you in faith as well. That the invitation that we received to follow you as our king would be an invitation that we extend for others to follow you as king as well. God, you have shown your faithfulness to people in the Old Testament, people in the time of the Gospels, and you are faithful yet today. You were the bread of life back then. You are still the bread of life now. We thank you for that. We pray this in the name of Jesus. Amen.